Amen. All right, well, we're there in James chapter number three. And as we've been announcing for several weeks now, we are starting a brand new uh, series this morning called Tongue Tied. And again, usually when we use the term tongue tied, we're talking about like a speech impediment, uh, the ability to not get your words out. This, uh, this series is the opposite. It's the, the problem is not that we can't get our words out, is that sometimes we get too many words out. And uh, we are going to be talking about how to tie our tongues, how to control our tongues. We're going to be spending several weeks uh, looking at the Bible and learning some principles in regards to the proper use and control of our tongue and, of course, of our words. Now, we're there in James chapter 3. This is one of the uh, key passages in Scripture in regards to our words and our tongues. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says there in verse number 1. It says, My brethren, be not many masters. Knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. This is talking to leaders, spiritual leaders specifically, those of us who stand up and communicate for a living. Uh, he's told, hey, you know, be careful about wanting to become a preacher, is what he's saying. He says, be not many masters. He said, you know, you, you want to be careful about wanting to take on the uh, position of a pastor or a leader. You say, why? Because we shall receive the greater condemnation. You say, why is that? Verse 2 For in many things we offend all. And here's the truth you can't get up. You can't get up, and, I, and, I, and sometimes, I, and I'm telling you this because I, I hope you'll learn this and you'll, and you'll understand this and you'll have grace with me. You cannot get up in front of 100, 150, 170, I think we have 171 or 172 people here this morning. You can't get up in front of that many people and speak for 40, 45 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour, sometimes an hour and 10 minutes, uh, three times a week, and not expect that at some point I'm going to say something you don't like. I'm going to say something you don't agree with. I'm going to say something that offends you. And this is what he's saying. He said, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. You say, why? For in many things we offend all. And then he says this, and he begins to go into this idea of controlling your speech, controlling your words. He says, if any man offend not in word. He said, if it were possible for a person to not offend using uh, their, their word. And again, I want you to understand that James chapter 3, the subject is about offending with our words. The Bible says the same is a perfect man, enabled also to bridle the whole body. We're going to come back to those statements in a minute. Notice what he says in verse 3. He says, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. And this is what James is starting to develop here as he's going through this discussion and these analogies. He's, he's talking about the fact that the tongue is a very small part of your body. It is a little member that holds a lot of power. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says, behold also the ship. So he says, you've got this horse, and, and if you've ever been around horses, you know that they can be inti intimidating animals. They are big. They are strong. And he says, but we are able to put a bit in the mouth of a horse, and one individual who's much smaller and uh, a, a lot weaker than the beast that they are riding on can take full control of that animal by being able to control its mouth. By being able to put a bit in its mouth, it can control what that animal does. Then he says in verse 4, he says, behold also the ships. He said, let me give you another analogy. He said, let's talk about, uh, about these big uh, vessels in the sea. He says, also the ships, which though they be so great. He said, they, they're, they're big uh, uh, vessels that carry a lot of uh, cargo and merchandise and people. And he says, and are driven of fierce winds. Yes. 
yet are they turned about with a very small helm. And again, the idea is that the helm that controls the direction of a ship is very small in comparison to the size of the ship. The bit in the mouth of the horse that controls the horse is very small in comparison to that horse. What he says at the end of verse 4 there, he says, whither, he says, we're able to turn about that ship with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. The word listeth there means wherever he desires, wherever he pleases, wherever he chooses to. Notice verse 5. He says, even so. He says, in the same way, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. And here's what James is, is, is developing for us as we are going through this passage. Is he's saying, your tongue in relation to the rest of your body, is a very small body part. It's, it's a very small member. The word member in the King James Bible is just referring to a body part. And he says, but it boasteth great things. He says, it has a lot of power, and it has a lot of influence. And then he uh, tells us not only that the tongue is a little body part with a lot of power, but then he tells us something that you uh, already know, if you've been around uh, for any length of time, and it is this, that the tongue is a little body part that not only yields or wields a lot of power, but it can also cause a lot of problems. Notice verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, notice what he says, behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And again, he's using an analogy here. He's saying, and, 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 and we're familiar with this. Living in Northern California, we often hear about wildfires and fires starting in different places. And, and we know that a huge fire can start by just a very small little fire, a little spark, a little kindling. And he says, how great a matter a little fire kindles. Notice verse 6. He says, and the tongue. Notice how he describes the tongue. He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. And here's what he's trying to do. You say, man, that's a little dramatic there, James. But here's what you need to understand. James was a pastor. James was a spiritual leader. That's why he's speaking to spiritual leaders. He's saying, be not many masters. Let me tell you what you want to know about spiritual leadership. A lot of people end up getting mad at you. Let me tell you what you need to know about uh, preaching and teaching and communicating for a living is that sometimes you say things and people take it the wrong way or sometimes you say things you don't even realize that what you've said may be highly offensive to someone and they, and they get mad at you and they get upset. And, 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 and James, as a spiritual leader, I'm sure spent a lot of time communicating with a lot of people, spent a lot of time counseling people, spent a lot of time helping people. And he realized that the tongue is often at the center of our relationship problems. And he says, look, I'm trying to emphasize the fact that your tongue, when it's out of control, can be a world of iniquity. He says, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Notice verse 7, for every kind of beast. He says, for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed. And have been tamed of mankind. And here's what he's saying. And again, he's continuing with these illustrations. But what he's saying is this. That for the most part, by and large, 
human beings have been able to tame the animal kingdom. Now, obviously, we understand that every once in a while there is some uh, news about a mountain lion attacking a hiker or some uh, wild animal attacking a person, and we understand that those things happen. But by and large, we as human beings are not living in fear today that you're going to go to bed and some bear is going to come in your house and rip up your children. You know, we're not living in fear that, that, you're, that, that you have to be careful that some lion's going to come and, and destroy your house. By and large, as human beings, as the human race, we have been able to tame the animal kingdom to the point where we're not in fear of them, where we can control them, where they are in their place. He says, for every kind of beast, verse 7, and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. Notice verse 8, but the tongue... Can no man tame? It is, un, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And again, he's not saying that you can't take control of your tongue. But what he's saying is this, that the tongue will never be controlled by mankind. There will never be a time when all of us live in harmony because we've all learned to take our tongues and put them in a location called a zoo and we go put them in a cage and we go visit them every once in a while and we see them from afar off and we say, there it is, look at it. It's feeding. Oh, look at it. It's sleeping. But it doesn't hurt us. He says, you've got to live with your tongue. And you've got to live. Living with your tongue is like living with a wild animal that you may or may not control. Notice verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith, don't miss this. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And you know this is true. You know that it's true that you can come to church on a Sunday morning, open up a hymn book, and use your tongue to sing praises to God, and then use that same tongue this afternoon against your spouse to tear them down. You can come to church on a Sunday night and use your tongue to read God's word. You can use your tongue to praise God's name. You can use your tongue to pray and then use that same tongue after church to gossip, to backbite, to be bitter, to cause problems. He says the, the tongue is this unruly member. The tongue is this, it's this, this wild animal. It's like nothing else. He says, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Notice verse 10. And I love how he ends this kind of little talk. He says, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessings and cursings. And he goes on after this verse to talk about the fact that you don't get sweet water and bitter water out of one fountain. You don't get uh, something good and something bad out of one source, but the tongue is not so. The tongue can be used to bless God at one moment and curse men who were created in the similitude of God the next. And he says, this is your tongue. He says, this is the problem with a tongue that is not controlled. Notice verse 10. He says, out of the same mouth proceeded blessings and cursings. And then he says this. He says, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. He says, it ought not be this way. You say, well, what, what is the answer then? If the tongue really is this unruly member that will never really be tamed by mankind, meaning we will always have problems with our tongues. There will always be relational problems with our tongues. There will be wars that will be fought. There will be young men that will be sent off to different battle zones to die because there was a leader or two that were not able to control their tongues. You say, I think you're being a little 
uh, dramatic. Well, James himself would tell us, he said, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts that war in your members? And he says, look, your tongue is going to be like a fire that will destroy everything around you if you do not learn to bring it under control. You say, what's the answer? Well, look at verse 1 again. He says, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation, for in many things we offend all. Then he says this, if any man offend not in word, he said, if it were possible for a man to not offend in word, he said, if you could find someone who was able to control their words, he says, the same is a perfect man. Now, the word perfect there is not talking about perfect in the same way that you and I use the word perfect, because when we say the word perfect, what we mean is righteous. When we say the word perfect, we mean someone with no mistakes, right? The Bible says, for there is none righteous, no, not one. The only perfect man by our standards was the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is not the word that is being being used in our King James Bible. The word perfect has a different meaning, and often in, in the English language, words will have different meanings, and the word perfect can also mean mature, whole, or complete. Now, you don't have to turn here. Let me just read these for you, but let me give you some examples of that. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says this. This is what Luke said at the beginning of his gospel writing. He said, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. Luke said, I had perfect understanding of what happened, so I'm going to write to you in order, the gospel according to Luke, I'm going to write to you what it is that happened. He says, I have complete or whole or entire knowledge of what happened from the birth of Christ till his ascension, and I'm going to write that to you. In Matthew 14, verses 35 and 36, you don't have to turn there. Uh, you stay there in James, but the Bible says this, and when the men of the place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might uh, only touch the hem of his garment. It's talking about someone being healed because they touched Jesus. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. And you see how those words are used together. Because the word perfect just means to be complete, mature. Often Jesus would say, that faith has made thee whole. And he would tell someone, you, you have been made perfect. Why? Because they were made complete. They were made mature. They were made exactly how God desired for them to be. And here in James, we are told that if any man defend not in word, the same is a perfect, a mature, a whole, a complete man. Notice, you say, how do you know you're mature? How do you know you're complete? How do you know you're a perfect man in the Lord if you are, notice, and able also to bridle the whole body? Here's what God said. If you can learn to control your tongue, you will learn to control your whole body. Just like you put a bit in the mouth of a horse and control the whole body. He says, it's the same way with you and I. If we can gain control of our words, we can gain control of our lives. Now, you're there in James chapter 3. Just flip back to James chapter 1. And let me say this. An uncontrolled tongue cannot continue for a mature person. You say, uh, do I really need this series? Do I really need to come to church for the next several weeks and have you teach us about how to control our tongues? And here's all I'm saying. You do not need this series. You do not need to learn these principles. And you do not need to apply these principles if you plan to be immature for the rest of your life. But if you'd like to grow, if you'd like to mature, if you'd like to be a spiritual leader, if you'd like to be a leader in any capacity, 
James says, you must learn to control your tongue because only those who control their tongues, those who offend not in word, the same is a perfect and mature man. So if you're here this morning, you say, I'd like to grow. I hope that's why you came to church on a Sunday morning, to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. You say, I'd like to grow in grace. I'd like to grow in maturity. I'd like to grow in my Christian walk. Then you need this series. Then you need this sermon. Then you need to learn to control your tongue. But let me say this. If you're here this morning and you say, uh, why do I need this? Well, an uncontrolled tongue cannot continue for a mature person. You want to mature, you must learn to control your tongue. But let me say this. An uncontrolled tongue cannot continue for a religious person. James chapter 1, verse 26. Notice what he says. If any man among you seem to be religious. Oh, I'm religious. I tell people at work all the time. You know, I'm, I, you know They're talking and I'm just like, I'm anti-abortion. I'm anti-abortion too. You are a murderer. You say, you want to be religious? Here's what, here's what James says. If any man among you seem to be religious, notice, don't miss this, and bridleth not his tongue. He deceiveth his own heart. This man's religion is, in vain, is vain. And here's what he's saying. If you cannot control your tongue, you are not a good Christian. That's what he's saying. You say, oh, I'm, I'm religious. Well, then control your tongue. Well, uh, I, I, I want to, you know, be used of God and show my good works and, and be able to uh, have that testimony. Well, you are deceiving yourself if you are not able to bridle your tongue. And you say, well, what's a bridle? A bridle is the headgear used to control a horse consisting of buckles and straps to which a bit and the reins are attached in order to control an animal. And here's what he's saying. He's saying you must learn to control your tongue. If you plan to have an influence as a religious person and as a mature person. So here's what I'd like to do this morning. You're there in James. Go with me to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. If you started the beginning of the Bible of the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. If you can't find it, it's the verse in front of your, in the front of your bulletin, all right? So we've got it right there for you. Ephesians chapter 4. And here's what I'd like to do this morning. I'd like to... I hope you've been convinced that it is important. It is important for your relationships. It is important for your relationships with others, for your testimony as a Christian, for your own personal growth and maturity to learn to control your mouth and to learn to control your tongue. What I'd like to do this morning is I'd like us to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29 specifically, and I want to show you three bits for your mouth. Three bits that ought to control your mouth as a mature Christian, that ought to control your mouth as a religious person, all right? Are you there in Ephesians chapter 4? Look at verse 29. I realize that we put on the back of your course of the week the vision offering thing, so you have somewhere to take your notes, but maybe you can write it on the side of your Bible, maybe right there in the, in the, in, 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 next to Ephesians 4.29. You can write these things down. But let me give you this morning three bits for the control of your mouth. Three bits for the control of your mouth. Number one, here's bit number one. You ought to ask yourself, before you begin to speak, before you begin to use your words, you ought to ask yourself this question. Here's bit number one. Is it true? Are you there in Ephesians 4? Look at verse 29. Notice what Paul says. He says, let no. Now, the word let there means allow. He says, do not allow. He says, do not allow. Let no corrupt. See that word corrupt there? The word corrupt means with error or dishonesty, right? Sometimes we'll look at a politician and say, oh, he's corrupt. What do we mean? He, he's defiled. He's dishonest. 
He's not pure. He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. See, the Apostle Paul said, do not allow something that is defiled or dishonest to come out of your mouth. He says, do not allow things that are not true to come out of your mouth. So when we're talking about being a mature Christian, being a religious person, and listen to me, I realize that sermons like these are not going to make me the most popular preacher. They're not going to get the most views on YouTube. I get those things. But this is what you and I need if we're going to live our lives as Christians. Be able to have good marriages and raise good, uh, have relations with, uh, good relations with our children and good relations with our, our neighbors and those around us. And you got to ask yourself, before I begin to speak, you should ask yourself, is what I'm going to say true? Is it true? Why? Because Paul said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Now keep your place there in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to come right back to it. But go with me to the book of Proverbs. If you open up your Bible just right in the center, you're more than likely following the book of Psalms. Right after Psalms, you have the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter number 12. Proverbs chapter number 12. Is it true? Before you allow something to come out of your mouth, is it true? Is it true? Is what I'm about to say corrupt? Is it defiled? Is it dishonest? Or is it pure? Is it true? He says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. And, and let me just say this. And I'm not dealing with this. Well, well, I'll probably have an entire sermon on, on this one subject before it's all said and done. But this is one of the major problems with gossip. Is that we will give out information and we will promote information and we will propel information that we're not even sure is true. Oftentimes, as a pastor, people will come to me and they'll say, oh, uh, let me tell you about X, Y, and Z, or let me tell you about this situation, and let me tell you about this or that. And the first question I've learned, and my my wife and I have kind of developed a habit, of the first question we ask is, how do you know that? Let me tell you about what so-and-so is doing. How do you know that? Well, uh, so-and-so told so-and-so, who told his sister, who told his neighbor, who told my mom, and, and, and the problem is that we are, we are quick and we are swift to give out information that we're not even sure is true. We're not even sure is accurate. We're not even sure that he really did or she really did or they really went or whatever it might be. And here's all I'm telling you. That's okay if you're immature. That's okay if you want to destroy your testimony as a religious person. If you want to be known as a hypocrite. If you want to be known as, yeah, they say they're a Christian, but, you know, they're really just a busybody. That's fine if that's who you want to be. But if you want to have a testimony of maturity, you want to have a testimony that's pleasing to God, you have to learn and develop the habit and put the bit in your mouth that says, before the words come out, I must know this. Is it true? Because it's easy to accuse It's easy. Well, I think he's committing adultery. How do you know that? And look, if someone's committing adultery, let's deal with it. But don't don't start accusing people. And you, whatever it is, I don't have any. I just think you know, he just looks like the type of guy. Is it true? Is it true? You say why? Because Paul said, "Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth." You're there in Proverbs 12. Look at verse 19. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 19 says this, The lip of truth shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. He says, look, there is value in truth. And here's what he's saying. There's legitimacy in truth. The lip of truth, 
the lip of truth shall be established forever. And here's what I've learned, and you know to say, you, you know this to be true. In fact, we teach this to our children. We teach our children a little story about a little boy who cried wolf. And what we've learned as, as adults and what I've learned as a spiritual leader is that sometimes people come to me with issues and I think to myself, okay, whatever. Because this person is always coming with issues, always having a problem, always seeing a big conspiracy, always seeing something there. And then there are other people who, when they come to you with something, they say, Pastor, you know what? I just want to let you know. I, I, I don't have all the pieces. I'm just telling you, I, this is what I know, and I think you should know. And sometimes people come to me, and I'm like, whoa, I need to pay attention to what this person is saying. Because they have a habit and a consistency and a reputation of telling the truth. The lip of truth shall be established forever. So we're talking about bits for your mouth. Now keep your place there in Proverbs. We're going to come back to it. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. You should be, have your place in Ephesians 4.29 and in the book of Proverbs. We're talking about bits for your mouth. What's the first bit? What is a bit that should control your mouth, control your tongue, control your words as a mature and religious person? Here's the first bit. Number one, is it true? You got to ask yourself, is it true? Is it true? You're there in Ephesians 4. Look at verse 29. Let me give you the second bit. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. We talked about that. Is it true? But that which is good to the use of edifying. We'll come back to that statement in a minute. But I want you to notice the last part of verse 29. That it may minister grace unto the hearers. He says, don't allow corrupt communication to proceed out of your mouth. He said, only allow that which is good to the use of edifying. You say, why? That it may minister grace unto the hearers. The word grace the theological term or definition for the word grace is unmerited favor or undeserved favor. We usually think of grace in regards to salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. We got salvation, though we did not deserve it. We got salvation, though we did not earn it. We got salvation, though it wasn't owed to us and no one had to give it to us. It was given freely as a free gift. Here, that word is being used to say, your words ought to minister grace. They ought to minister unmerited, undeserved, unearned favor unto the hearers. So here's the second bit. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it kind? Are your words ministering grace unto the hearer? Are your words kind? You're there in Ephesians 4? Go to Colossians chapter number 4. If you're there in Ephesians, you're going to go Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The Bible commands us to be kind. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. We have been commanded to be kind. Here Paul tells us that we, our words should minister grace unto the hearers. They should minister unmerited and undeserved favor. And you can just bring it down to this. You say, how do I know if my words are gracious? Just ask yourself this. Are my words kind? Before you allow anything to come out of your mouth, you got to ask yourself, is it true? Is it kind? Is it true? And is it ministering grace? You say, well, they don't deserve it. That's what grace is. It's undeserved. They haven't earned it. If you knew her, pastor, if you knew him, if you knew them, that you would know and understand that they haven't earned it. But that's exactly what grace is. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You got it freely and unmerited. And God says, your words ought to minister grace unto the hearers. Are you there in Colossians 4? Look at verse 6. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Notice what the Bible says. 
Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 4, 6 says this. Let your speech be always with, don't miss this, grace. Always means all of the time, every time. Your speech ought to always be with grace. It always had to be, should be unmerited, undeserved favor. I like this, this next phrase. I, I like it because I'm a salt eater. He says, seasoned with salt. You know, I like salt. I realize, it, you know, don't tell me it's going to be bad for me. It's going to kill me. I get it. I'm going to die anyway. I'm not planning on living forever. But, you know, you say, well, what's the point of salt? You know, I, here's why I put salt in my food, because it tastes good. Because it brings out the flavor. And he says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Here's what he's saying. Don't answer a man. Don't answer a matter. Don't give your opinion. Don't tell somebody what you're thinking until you've made sure that you're saying it always with grace, seasoned with salt. Here's what it means. It ought to taste good. They ought to want to receive it. They ought to want to take it in. And here's what we're saying. If you want to be mature and religious, you must learn to control your mouth. You say, how do I do that? Well, you ask yourself, before you speak, ask yourself, is it true? Ask yourself, is it kind? Now, when I preach this, the accusation that will come my way from people who don't take the time to ask themselves, is it true and is it kind? is, well, Pastor Jimenez, you just think that we should never confront anybody with anything wrong. Well, see, that's not, that's not the point, and that's not the truth. Now, you're there in Colossians. Go back to Ephesians. You go backwards past Philippians into Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. And let me just say this. The point is not that we never confront someone or that we never uh, tell, say something negative to someone. There are times when we must speak the truth. Remember, we asked ourselves the question, is it true? And sometimes you ask yourself, is it true? And you say, yes, it's true. Yes, it's true. So therefore, I must go confront them. I must go talk to them. I must go tell them. But listen, it's not that you need one of these. It's that you need all of these. Make sure it's true, but then go ahead with the truth and make sure it's kind. Are there in Ephesians 4? Look at verse 15. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says this. But speaking, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Notice what it says. Ephesians 4, 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. See, the problem is not speaking the truth. The problem is making sure that when we speak the truth, we speak the truth appropriately. The problem is not telling the truth. The problem is that often when we tell the truth, you say, well, I I told the truth. But did you say it with grace? But did you say it kindly? But did your words minister grace unto the sphere? The problem is not the truth. The problem is speaking the truth in love. Go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Oftentimes, the problem is not that we confront someone. It's how we confront someone. The problem is not that well, I, have to, I have to confront my wife or I have to con- confront my husband or I have to con- confront my children or I have to confront my employee or I have to confront you know, this person or that person or this individual. There's a problem here. The problem is that, now look, before you do that, make sure it's true. Make sure it's true. But then check your attitude. Check your emotions. Is it true? But then ask yourself, is it kind? 
Am I ministering grace? And, and this is a problem that we have in fundamentalism, because in fundamentalism, we are so right. I mean, we are so right. I mean, talk, come to me with a doctrine. I will have a verse. I will have a chapter. I can explain to you why we're right about why we believe, why we believe, what we believe about, ask me. Dispensationalism, pre-trib rapture, Zionism, I mean, the reprobate doctrine. You just, act, and the problem is that in fundamentalism, I'm talking about those of us who actually read and study the Bible, who actually preach the word of God, who actually take the time to make sure that what we believe is found in God's word. And when we preach it, we use God's word to prove it. We are so right that sometimes we get arrogant and we become very wrong in our rightness. And again, you don't have to take my advice. If you want to stay immature and unreligious for the rest of your life, you go ahead and do that. All I'm telling you is this. Some of you are so right, you're just right, and you're right, and you're right. And I'm telling you, wife, you're going to write your husband right out of the marriage. And you're just so right. And I'm just right with my children. I'm right, and they're wrong, and they need to know. And you may be right, but you're going to write them right out of a relationship with you. Because the problem is not whether we're right. The problem is whether we're communicating it in a right way. Is it true? Is it kind? And, and let me just say this. Are you better than Jesus? Because we think, man, I'm so right. I mean, it's like Jesus and me. Or like, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and me. I mean, I am so right all the time about everything. And you may be right about all of it. But I want you to notice, if you're there in Revelation chapter 2, that Jesus was careful with his words. Now, in Revelation chapter 2, we have an interesting passage where we have the Lord Jesus Christ actually bringing rebuke against the churches of Asia. And if you have a red letter edition Bible, you'll find that Revelation chapter 2 is in red letters because it's actually Jesus in his glorified body bringing a message to the churches in Asia. But I want you to notice how Jesus did it. Look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, unto the angel, that's the leader, that the, the word angel, they're talking about messenger, is what the word means, it's talking about the pastor. Be not many masters, because Jesus is going to hold you responsible. And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, and walketh in the midst of seven golden candlesticks. This is Jesus. Jesus is going to bring a message to the church at Ephesus. Here's how you and I would do it. You are so messed up. You are so liberal. I'm so stinking tired of you. Notice how Jesus does it. He says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake, has labored, and has not fainted. I want you to notice that he spends two verses telling them, here's what you're doing right. Here's what I'm proud of. Here's what I'm, I, I'm happy you're doing. Here's some good qualities of yours. Here's some things that, that, that you're doing correctly. Verse 4, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast, kept thy, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. And then, so he, he, he gives them two verses of positive, two verses of negative, and then notice verse 6, back to positive. But this thou hast, 
that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And here's all I'm telling you. The Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, understood that when you communicate with people, it's not just about being right. It's about being right and communicating it rightly. It's about being true and being kind. It's about being true. And, when, and you can't read the Gospels without getting that of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if it was just about being right, Jesus could have done that in like two minutes. I mean, he could have just came down to this earth, gathered everybody together, I'm right. You're all wrong. See you later. But that's not how Jesus lived his life. He lived his life in, in communion and relationship with others. Why? Because he was right, but he was kind. He was right, but he was loving. He was right, but he was graceful. And this is why the Bible says that he was filled with grace and truth. And the problem is that you and I often are filled with truth, but no grace. And the liberals are filled with grace and no truth. But Jesus said, is it true? He said, I am the truth. He preached the truth, but he said, I was full of grace. Let your speech be all with grace. Notice, notice what he does to the church in Pergamos, verse 12. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. And unto the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. Again, referring to himself. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is. Notice what he says. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. No, he tells him something good. He said, man, I'm glad you're holding fast my name. You've not denied my faith. You're, you're doing a good job. You're, you're my faithful martyr who was slain among you. Where Satan dwelleth. He said, good job. Then he says this, verse 14. But I have a few things against thee. Because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Go down to verse number 18. Notice what, he, and, and again, why don't you notice? He tells them something good, tells them something bad. Nothing positive, something negative. Revelation chapter 2, look at verse 18. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Notice what he says to the church in Thyatira. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass. I know thy works. Notice, positive, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. He said, you're doing great. In all of these areas, you're in, in, in your work, and in your charity, and your service, and your faith, and your patience, and thy works. He said, you're doing better now in those areas than you were when you first started. All positive, all good. Verse 20, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach, and to seduce my servants, and to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And he goes on and on to tell them all the things that they're doing wrong. But here's all I'm trying to tell you, is you're not better than Jesus. And you're not smarter than Jesus. And if Jesus understood that before I bring a rebuke, maybe I should bring a compliment. Before I tell someone where they're wrong, maybe I should tell them where they're right. And here's all I'm trying to help you with parents. I'm just trying to help you. Why won't my teenager listen to me? Why do they just get so angry and upset and mad when I tell them what they're doing wrong? Here's all I'm asking. Have you ever told them what they're doing right? Have you ever said, son, listen, I'm proud of you. You're doing a good job. Let me tell you where you're doing a good job. Let me tell you the areas that I think you're doing an awesome job, and I'm so proud. And when, when I was your age, I wish I would. Listen, honey, man, I'm so proud of the fact. I am so happy that you, and let me tell you, where, and just kind of brag on them a little bit. And then, nevertheless, <laughs> you know, I love you. I'm proud of you. And I'm for you. 
But I see some things that I'd like to talk to you about. See, the problem is that we just come with wrong, 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 because we're right, 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 and we're going to write them right out the door. And we're going to destroy our relationships. And you're going to end up divorced. And you're going to end up with wayward kids. And it's not that you weren't right. It's that you weren't kind. Jesus understood. Jesus understood. I realize sometimes I get phone calls. And I realize whenever this person calls me, they're only calling me to tell me what I did wrong. I want to, man, you ever thought about calling me when I did something right? Why don't I tell you when you do something right? Really? Because I might be more apt to receive your correction if, all, if it wasn't that all I received from you was your correction. Is it true? Is it kind? You don't have to listen to me. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you that if you want to be mature, you must learn to control your tongue. We're talking about some bits for your tongue. Is it true? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it kind? If all you ever do is tell people what they're doing wrong, they're not going to take it well. And if you must correct and if you must confront, do it in a kind way. And here's what I'm saying. You don't have to put people down. You don't have to insult them. You don't have to belittle them. You don't have to be rude or mean to them. Go to Proverbs. Keep your, keep your place, or you can lose your place in Revelation. Go, go back to Proverbs if you keep your place in Proverbs. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. Let me make this, this point real quickly. And I, and I see this as a big problem often with wives. And you say, ah, oh, you're going to point out the wives. The Bible points out the wives. And it's not all wives. I can tell you this. My, my, I, I've been blessed with a, with a wonderful wife. And, and my wife is so gracious, and she has been so gracious with me. Unmerited favor, unearned, undeserving favor, and I appreciate for it. I appreciate her for it. But my wife and I will often look at, because we're, we're in ministry. We've been doing this for eight years now. We've been doing this long enough to where it is, we, we start seeing situations. And we'll look at situations, and, and we'll just kind of look at each other and say, a couple of years, they're going to be in your office. A couple of years, they're going, to be, they're going to be having some issues. Couple of years, they're going to be having some problems because what, what we've learned, what I've learned, and what we've kind of noticed, especially with, with wives and especially with young wives, is that it is easy for them to continually complain, criticize, and condemn. Well, I don't think you should be saying this. Well, I didn't say it, God did. Proverbs 21, are you there? Look at verse 9. It is better, it is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop. And listen, lady, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm really not. Look, I realize I, I preach these things. People get offended. I get it. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to help you. If you've ever asked yourself, why does my husband spend, well, he spends so much time in the garage? Why, why is he always in the yard? Why? I mean, he, he works all day. He comes home. He comes in to eat, and he's just like, wants to be like, why doesn't he want to just spend time with me? It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. It may be because your words are not kind. Proverbs 21, 19. Notice what he says. It is better to dwell in the wilderness 
than with a contentious and an angry woman. My husband's always wanted to go fishing. He's always wanted to go camping. He's always wanted, and look, I'm not, if your husband goes fishing or camping, I'm not saying they hate you, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But when they want to go fishing and camping every week, and they want to go hang out with the guys every week, and it seems like they're trying to avoid you and get away from you, and uh, go, go to the garage, go to my man cave, I'm, I'm just going to go hang out in the attic. It, it, it may be because you are a contentious and an angry woman. And here's all I'm saying. Ladies, here's all I'm telling you. You say, well, I wouldn't be so angry if you just wouldn't. I wouldn't be so angry if you just... But when all you communicate, when all you communicate is complaining, condemning, and criticizing, when all you communicate is, you didn't, you messed up, I told you to, you didn't... And there's never... Let me tell you what I'm happy about. Let me tell you why I'm glad I'm married to you. And, and here's all, I'm, I'm just really, I'm, I'm trying to help you out because, ladies, let me let you in on a little secret. And you don't know this and I get that. I'm just going to try to help you out. Some of the guys are going to be mad at me, but that's okay. Men are fragile creatures. We don't act like it. We act like we're big and tough. Don't, you know, you tell me I'm gaining weight, right? don't bother me. <laughs> then they go cry in the shower. And here's all I'm telling you. Men are strong physically. They're strong, and they've got good qualities and mentally and things, but they've got very, very fragile egos. And when all you do is condemn and complain and criticize and condemn and complain and criticize and condemn and complain and criticize, and we watch it, especially with young couples. We've been doing this for so long because here's what young guys do. Young guys are weak, and they just kind of sit there and take it. Ugh, ugh, ugh. Uh, but, you know, eventually they get fed up. Eventually they grow up and they're like, I'm not taking this anymore. And they show up in my office. And it's, I don't understand why you're so mean. Because he's been taking it for a long time. And all I'm telling you, say, well, sh- I, sh- I shouldn't confront my husband. And by the way, husbands, same with your wife. Your children. This is what the Bible says. Provoke not your children to wrath. I shouldn't confront my children. We never said don't confront your children. We never said don't deal with issues when they need to be dealt with. All we're saying is this. When you are going to deal with an issue, ask yourself, is it true? Then check your emotions. Is it kind? Am I kind? Am I ministering grace with my words? Is my speech always with grace, seasoned with salt, that, it may, that I may know how to answer every man? Let me give you the, the third bit. Go, go back to Ephesians chapter 4. Keep your place in Proverbs. We're going to come right back to it. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Talking about bits for your mouth. Bits for your mouth. What are they? Number one, is it true? Number two, is it kind? Here's the third bit. Notice what he says, Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Don't miss this. But that which is good to the use of edifying. God says, when the words come out of your mouth, you got to ask yourself, are these words going to edify? Are they going to build up? Are they going to be helpful? So here's the third bit. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it kind? Here's the third, is it necessary? Is it necessary? Before the words come out of your mouth, ask yourself, is it necessary for me to say this? Is it helpful for me to say this? 
Is this going to help my relationship with my wife? Is this going to help my relationship with my husband? Is this going to help my relationship with my children? Is this going to help my relationship with my employees? Is this going to help my relationship with my fellow church member, the people I serve with, my soul winning partner, whatever it might be? Is this helpful? Is it necessary for me to say? Because this is what Paul said. He said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. He's saying, make sure when your words come out of your mouth that they're helpful that they're building, that they are helping someone be strengthened. You say, how do I know that? Here's how you know that. Is it necessary? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? And, here, and here's what it comes down to. Go, go back to Proverbs 27. And this is why I tell you, it's not one of these, it's all of these. It's not, well, I, what I said was true. Okay, but was it kind? Well, what I said was kind, but was it necessary? Was it needed? Because here's the point. Sometimes the truth is needed. We're not saying don't speak the truth. Just make sure when you speak the truth, it's necessary. Just saying when you speak the truth, it's kind. Proverbs 27 and verse 5 says this, Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We are not saying, please listen to me, we are not saying, oh, I should never speak the truth. You should speak the truth. Just make sure you do it kindly and make sure it's necessary when you do it. Make sure it's necessary when you do it. Make sure you are, wait, you, you ask yourself, do I need to say that? Do I need to ask that question? Do I need to know that? Are, are my words going to help the situation? Are they going to further things along? Are they going to help the relationship? Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Now go, go to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're almost done. If you're there in Ephesians, you just go backwards to Galatians chapter 4. And let me just say this. When you are assured that the words that come out of your mouth are true, kind, and necessary, that does not mean, that does not mean, please listen to me, that does not mean that the person is going to receive it well. And that does not mean that the words that are going to come back to you are going to be true, kind, and necessary. So understand that this is not about them, this is about you. How they take it, that's on them. But you need to make sure that your heart is right and that you can stand before God and say, my words were true, they were kind, and they were necessary. Galatians chapter 4, look at verse 16, notice what the Apostle Paul said. He said, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Now remember, this is the same guy who said, speaking the truth in love. I don't believe the Apostle Paul got up here or got up there and just started railing on people and telling people they were worthless and telling people they were this and telling people they were that. No, no, no. He spoke the truth, but he spoke it with grace. He spoke it kindly. And look, as a pastor, my job is to rebuke and to reprove and to exhort but honestly, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at this, and some of you are going to come up and give me an example, and just, is it necessary? 
I'm not saying I've been perfect at this because I realize that when you speak in front of people three times a week for eight years, you're going to say things you regret. You're going to say things you shouldn't have said. You're going to say things in the wrong spirit. I, I will admit that. I will happily take that responsibility. But let me just say this. My job is not to water down the truth. My job is not to, deli- to, to just avoid rebukes and avoid reproof. My job is to make sure that when I get up and preach, I preach the truth and I preach the rebukes and the reproofs as they are needed, but that they are done in the right attitude and in love. And that you would walk out and say, man, that hurt. But I know he loves me. And here's the thing. If I didn't tell you the truth, I'd hate you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. So it's not about truth. It's about being kind. Not just about being kind. about being necessary. Do you need to? Do you need to express that opinion? Do you need to? Tell? And, and you see this conversation. You, you see this where one spouse is giving, telling some story. Oh, let me tell you what happened on Tuesday. The other spouse, it was Monday. <laughs> was that necessary? Does that change the story? Does it change the punchline? Does it change? And here's all I'm saying. Before you allow words to come out of your mouth, just ask yourself, oh, it's true, okay? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Is it needed? Is this person going to be led astray on the information that they're getting? Because my husband said it was on Tuesday when it was actually Monday. Because, it's, because he said it was at 3.15 when it was actually 3.12. I looked at my clock. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Let me give you one, one last verse. We'll finish up. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 8. Say, wow, pastor, this seems difficult. This is why it is the mark of maturity. Mature people, perfect people, control their words, control their tongues, control their communication. They put bits in their mouth. Is it true? Oh, better not go there. Is it kind? Oh, guess I won't say that. Is it necessary? I guess I'm not going to have that conversation. Because that's what mature religious people do. Are you there in Colossians 3? Look at verse 8. But now ye also put off all these. God says, don't don't have this in your life. Don't have this. Some of you, you like drama and you, you, you feed off of drama. But God says, you don't need that in your life. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy. Filthy communication out of your mouth. You say, Pastor, okay, that's, this is nice. Great. My, my problem's not, you know, the, the bit in my mouth. The problem is that sometimes I can't, I, I just start saying things before I say them. You know, they, they, they come out of my mouth before I can ask myself, is it true, is it kind, is it necessary? Well, let, let me just say this. If that's you, you need next week's sermon. Because next week we're going to learn about a wonderful principle in the Word of God. Because you and I wish that God would have given us a rewind button where we could, let me take that back. And God has not given you a rewind button with your tongue, but He has given you a pause button. And we're going to learn next week all about the pause button. How to stop the words in time to ask ourselves the question, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary?
Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the fact that you give us great principles throughout Scripture to teach us how to control every area of our lives. And Lord, I I realize that I will stand up here on a Sunday morning and preach a sermon like this. And before the day is over, I'll say something that was not necessary. Or I'll say something that was not kind. Maybe say something that's not true. Lord, I just pray you'd help us all to realize that we are all, the tongue is untamable. And we need to all work all day every day to control our words. Lord, I pray you'd help us. I I pray that you would help our church to be filled with people that are mature and religious, that would bridle their mouths and put bits in their tongues, that we would all learn to ask the questions before the words come out. Is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.